contact, making, making, making contact. This week on Making Contact. We won that campaign and it was miraculous. Like, wow, the power of the people. I'll do it all over again if I have to. We already see 28 states have already introduced bad legislation trying to make voting harder. We've still got a lot of work to do around voting justice. We have no right to vote for presidential elections. In advance of the election, the legislature could today say, no more election, we're going to pick. But they very certainly can also do the right thing and pass the National Popular Vote Compact. Women Rising Radio looks back on the historic 2020 U.S. elections in part two of our series on election protection advocates. We'll hear from Unite Here organizer Carolina Miranda about the successful grassroots effort to get out the vote amidst the COVID pandemic. Andrea Miller of the Center for Common Ground highlights the stunning electoral victories in Georgia and suggests how to keep the momentum going. And Pam Wilmot with Common Cause makes the case for abolishing the Electoral College. We also look ahead to new strategies for protecting elections and strengthening democracy in America. The levels of voting that if you ever agreed to it, you'd never have a Republican elected in this country again. There's no way I lost Georgia. There's no way. We need only 11,000 votes. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find 11,780 votes. That number is not accurate, and I think we can show you. What a schmuck I was. Stacey Abrams is laughing about, you know, she's going around saying these guys are dumber than a rock. Author and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Isabel Wilkerson explains in her highly acclaimed new book, Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents, that Cast, along with its faithful servant, Race, is an X factor in almost any American equation, and any answer one might ever come up with to address our current challenges is flawed without it. Andrea Miller is acutely aware of how race and class affect U.S. elections. She spearheads the Center for Common Ground's Reclaim Our Vote campaign. We interviewed the Virginia-based digital strategist for our first program on election protection advocates. Her effective strategies combining technology and grassroots organizing played a key role in transforming Virginia into what she likes to call the former capital of the Confederacy. Andrea's group, Reclaim Our Vote, also partnered with the NAACP in Georgia to achieve spectacular victories for the Democratic Party. In part one of our Women Rising Radio election series, Andrea signaled that Georgia and its two senatorial races would be critical to winning the 2020 elections. Her strategy was based on what she and the Reverend Terrence Dix of Progressive Democrats of America saw happening around the country, the southernization of America. When Reverend Dix and I came up with the southernization of America, what we were looking at was all of the voter suppression laws, 
rules and behaviors that we were seeing in southern states. And we became very, very alarmed because we started seeing the same things happen in states like Wisconsin and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Arizona, which definitely were not Southern. But we were seeing the same type of voter suppression. This was very, very much in play in 2020 when we looked at more than 17 million voters of color who had been removed from the voting rolls. So we went directly at the belly of the beast through a massive outreach to voters who had been disenfranchised, letting voters know that they had been removed from the voting rolls. What we did in Georgia was we postcarded every active community of color voter in the entire state. This is what we did for the Georgia runoff, letting them know that there was going to be a special election. We sent 9.6 million postcards. That does not include the work for the primary. That's just the general. Our total outreach, 13.1 million voters. And we made 359,000 phone calls to Georgia voters between November 9th and January 5th. One of the things we knew about Georgia elections is there are a lot of really incredible groups in Georgia. Stacey Abrams Fair Fight, the New Georgia Project, you've got the Georgians for a Progressive Agenda, Black Voters Matter, but most of those groups are headquartered in Atlanta. Georgia has 159 counties. The city of Augusta and the city of Atlanta represent 14 counties. So we focused our work in what was not Atlanta. We went down to the Georgia Black Belt. The Black Belt was the area in the state where you had the richest oil, which means this is where the plantations were, which means this is where slavery was most prevalent. Many of the descendants of people who were slaves on those plantations never left. They stayed and formed towns, in many instances, right outside the gates of those plantations. So that's what the Black Belt is today. There are 2.7 million Black voters in Georgia. So maybe Atlanta area has maybe 1.2 million. Then you're going to have about 800,000 out in the Black Belt. So if you were running a race in Atlanta and Augusta, you're leaving 800,000 voters on the table.
So while people who were calling Atlanta were getting people saying, if I get one more phone call, I am shooting my phone. We weren't having that problem. People hadn't heard from anybody, and they were delighted to get a phone call and get some information and find out about what was going on. Many labor unions organized large groups of volunteers to get out the vote in Georgia. Among those heeding the call were 1,000 volunteers from the Hotel and Hospitality Workers Union, Unite Here!, Carolina Miranda is a union rep who rallied a team of on-the-ground activists in Fulton County, Georgia, perhaps the most highly contested county in both the presidential and senatorial races. I was the lead, basically in charge of 10 canvassers in my group. We were in charge of handing out supplies and always motivating, trying to remind them how good and leaders that we all are and how we can improve and how we can do better and help out each other. Like, what's the motive? Why are we here? We were set up to be very successful with the help of the union and everything. They supplied us with waters. They supplied us with masks. They supplied us with hand sanitizer, snacks, and all these things that can help us get through protecting ourselves and protecting others, as well as giving them stamps, you know, and as little as stamps, but people didn't have money. As far as the Senate runoff, we did hit over 1.2 million doors. We was hitting over 100 doors a day each. So we were out there day and night. And I don't know if you've been to Georgia, but it's dark at night. There's no lights. People were like, you know, you you guys are canvassing in places that we nobody ever knocks on our door. I did hear gunshots. And of course, my canvassers heard gunshots. And that was very nerve wracking. But you know what was really scary were the dogs. <laughs> Everybody got dogs everywhere. And it's little ones, big ones. They chased us. Somebody got bit. People are scared. So the dogs are ready. And they look hungry. <laughs> I experienced more of the voter suppression in Georgia because just speaking to the voters, so many elderly, they weren't able to make it to the polls. So we were blessed to be able to give them rides. And we've also experienced that they were told one different address that they can go and vote and it was closed. And luckily we got to be there. So we were like, don't worry about it. We'll get you to the right location. There was also a lot of places that there wasn't even any signs to say you can come and vote here. So just to give them the proper information was amazing because we had people that were so happy and they were like, we don't know what we would have done without you and thank you so much. We just had such great teamwork and I feel so blessed. My team was amazing as well. We, we killed it out there. <laughs> Voter turnout drives throughout the country led to a surge in voting, especially among people of color. In Georgia, the African-American vote increased by at least 25 percent. The Asian-American vote nearly doubled, while Latinx and youth voting also saw a sharp rise. Organizations like Andrea Miller's Reclaim Our Vote and unions like Carolina Miranda's Unite Here did a lot of the hard work to get out that vote. The biggest problem we had, weirdly enough, was in Arizona, for the primary in April. Maricopa County on Friday announced that they were going to be closing their polling locations and they were going to go to vote centers. 
So that meant if we were calling voters, we couldn't begin to tell them where to vote. We had never in our lives, and I've experienced some really bad behaviors, seen anything so blatantly incompetent. They published the list on the website late Monday afternoon. Well, the election was Tuesday. Carolina Miranda also led a group of canvassers in Florida doing outreach to the Latinx community. She says voter suppression tactics in Florida had a very different flavor from those in Georgia. As far as the voter suppression, I believe it was completely different in Florida than it was in Georgia. In Florida, I was working with the Latino community, which the message and everything down there was completely different of what the experience was in Georgia. I normally never watch TV unless it's like a program or something educational. So being in Florida, you know, I, I wanted to get to know what people are watching because that's a way of educating myself, right? And I was noticing how the, the commercials were very much like, yeah, well, if you vote for Democrat, they want communism to come to this country. And it's so unfair because if you really think about it, you're utilizing certain Latino cultures in certain countries where they've dealt with experiences like that. And they're freaking out like, oh, my God, communism in people. They're not even allowed to say that they are voting Democrat because they're going to get bullied. They get bullied by their same community. They insult them or they do damage to the properties. So a lot of people that I spoke to were keeping their vote quiet. And yeah, it's like Democrats are just all about communism and socialism. And I would say, no, you have everything so misinterpreted. And we have to find a way to educate people, especially the Latino community, understand what democracy means, because that's where the miscommunication is. Andrea Miller agrees with Carolina on the need to counter the corrosive effects of political disinformation, her group, Reclaim Our Vote, is opening democracy centers to educate voters on issues and policies affecting their lives and to encourage political engagement. Democracy centers are local. So we opened our first one in Hawkinsville, Georgia. The group that opened it, the Newberry Foundation, they distribute food. Families in the area that need food know they can come there once a week, and they're a food distribution center. Well, what would be a more likely place where people would feel comfortable trusting them with voting information? The idea behind democracy centers is when we are out in these rural communities and people don't have internet in their homes, the democracy centers have high-speed internet. People could go to the democracy centers. They could hear our programming. They could participate. They could ask questions. It becomes a way of teaching civics. I'll be teaching a course on becoming civically engaged, doing outreach to elected officials. You're listening to Making Contact, and this week's program was produced by Women Rising Radio. Visit us online at womenrisingradio.com and at radioproject.org.
Andrea Miller is looking at what's next in the struggle to guarantee voting rights for all, and she has a roadmap for what needs to happen in the next few years to protect U.S. elections. We already see 28 states have already introduced legislation trying to make voting harder. So we've still got a lot of work to do around voting justice. H.R. 1 is a compendium of about 50 standalone bills that have been introduced in the House and Senate at various points in time. As omnibus bills go, it is a very, very good one because so many of the things we see states trying to do now, it actually says, no, you're not going to do that. We had early voting for the first time in our entire history last year. We didn't know what to do with ourselves. So H.R. 1 very carefully says this is how these things must work. All eligible voters are entitled to early vote, and they're entitled to vote by mail, and you will not be requiring signature verification, nor will you be allowed to require photo ID, nor are you going to be allowed to require witness signatures. I love legislation. Voting rights advocates are working to get H.R. 1 passed early in the Biden administration. They've also set their sights on the Electoral College, an outdated method of selecting the U.S. president, which was written into the Constitution by Southern slaveholding states. Andrea Miller says it's critical to ensure that the candidate who gets the most votes nationwide actually becomes president. There are two ways to abolish the Electoral College. Number one, through constitutional amendment. That would get rid of it once and for all. But a constitutional amendment is a huge lift. Not only do you have to get a supermajority of Congress to vote for it in the House and the Senate and get the president to sign it, you then must turn and get 38 states a supermajority to ratify it. We will probably be spending years, if not decades, on that. But there is another way. And the other way is the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. The National Popular Vote Interstate Compact commits state electors to vote for the presidential candidate who wins the national popular vote. So far, 15 states and Washington, D.C. are signatories, including large states like California, New York, New Jersey, and Illinois. Backers of this initiative joined with Common Cause, a nonpartisan pro-democracy group, to get more states to sign on. Pam Wilmot, director of the initiative at Common Cause, has been with the campaign since it was introduced in 2007. Right off the bat, I was super enthusiastic about this idea. I thought it really made a lot of sense. I worked in a number of states, both helping local people get it passed and leading the effort in Massachusetts. And eventually that did pass in 2010. 
states. And then in 2011, I went to 16 different states to talk to them about the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, mostly to legislators and to other groups like Common Cause, the Legal Women Voters, ACLU, AARP, various other groups on the ground to get them interested and enthusiastic about it, and then also gathered some additional endorsement. The 15 states in the District of Columbia, which have passed the compact, have signed on for 196 of the 270 that we need. We only need 70 more electoral votes to join. And the National Popular Vote Compact passed in Oklahoma, Arizona, North Carolina, and New York passed it, while the Senate was controlled by Republicans. It became more partisan when certain party leaders determined that they thought it was not in their interests. Before that, we were coming really close to passage in a number of small Western states, and we're still working to change that knee-jerk reaction. The Electoral College was a political compromise that was indeed tied very closely to the three-fifths compromise, which was about counting slaves as three-fifths of a person for apportionment, for congressional districts, and ultimately then for the number of electors that each state had. It really came down to Southern states and their willingness to be in the union and their ability to control the outcome of presidential elections Accordingly, they controlled presidential elections for a long time. The American population has wanted to change the Electoral College for a very long time. And even Thomas Jefferson said this was the biggest mistake that they made. Originally, of course, Madison wanted a popular vote. Hamilton did not. But Jefferson ultimately said this was a mistake. Five out of 46 presidents have been elected despite the fact that they actually lost the popular vote. So that's very anti-democratic. But it's also that there's a very small number of states that are battleground states, and those are the only voters that actually count in presidential elections, where they're equally divided between Republicans and Democrats so that a candidate has an incentive to campaign there. And two-thirds of the states, they're either completely, consistently blue or consistently red. And those states are completely ignored in the general election by presidential candidates. 33 states had no campaign events whatsoever in 2020, and similar numbers, if not higher, in previous elections. So there's just tremendous incentives to manipulate your voting rules to affect the outcome based on a very small number of states. The president represents all of the people, and all the people should have an equal say in electing him or her. And that's what the National Popular Vote Compact will do. It will ensure that every vote in every state counts in every election. And it will ensure that the winner of the popular vote in all 50 states is elected president. No more second place winners occupying the Oval Office. And just to be clear, Common Cause supports both a constitutional amendment and a compact 
we think the compact is the correct and most likely way of achieving this important goal. But we're fine with a constitutional amendment, as is the League of Women Voters and many other progressive center groups. Carolina Miranda concurs with fellow voting rights advocates Andrea Miller and Pam Wilmot that real democratic change must include the elimination of the Electoral College. If we're supposed to all vote and our votes are supposed to count, it makes no sense that the electoral vote counts more than the popular vote. Just like how Hillary lost that election and it was like, wait a minute, what? Andrea wants to take things a step further by guaranteeing the right to vote in the Constitution. There is no right to vote in America. We need a whole new constitutional amendment. The right to vote in the United States, as defined in the U.S. Constitution, said white men who owned property had the right to vote. Everybody else, don't even think about it. We need a new constitutional amendment. Every citizen of the United States of voting age shall have the fundamental right to vote in any public election held in the jurisdiction in which they reside. Following the Democratic Party victories in 2020, Republicans have introduced over 100 bills in 28 state legislatures that would make voting more difficult across the country. They also want to gerrymander or redraw enough congressional districts to flip the House and appoint a GOP speaker. And in states like Arizona, Republicans want to give their legislatures the power to appoint electoral college delegates, overriding the people's will. Voting rights advocates have their work cut out, educating and mobilizing the electorate to protect the hard-won voting rights that are essential to a functioning democracy. At the end of her acclaimed book, Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents, Isabel Wilkerson writes, A single election will not solve the problems that we face if we haven't dealt with the structure that created the imbalance to begin with. Andrea Miller knows the critical importance of facing caste and race in the United States, and she's ready to tackle it head on. We have never, as a country, had a conversation on race. In South Africa, they had the truth and reconciliation conversations. In Germany, they had the truth, the reconciliation, and reparations. In America, we haven't had Jack. And it shows. And when you look at some of the people who were breaking into the Capitol, I was saying, you know, I bet your father or your grandfather went to Europe to fight the Nazis over what they were doing. Do you not see you're trying to bring the same thing into America? Did you really miss that memo? And the character with the Camp Auschwitz shirt. Really, dude? Really?
And that's it for this Women's Desk edition of Making Contact, produced by the Women Rising Radio Project. Special thanks to Harvey Wasserman and Grassroots Election Protection, to Isabel Wilkerson, Topher Ruth and Berkeley Advanced Media Studios, and to the staff of Making Contact. Music, courtesy of Sass and Harmony and Mississippi John Hurt. And audio, courtesy of NBC, Fox News, and USA Today. Women Rising Radio's producer is Lynn Feinerman, audio engineer Nathan Bald, and I'm your host, Sandina Robbins. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.